The Hammer, Chapter 5 The letter was written in a scrawling hand that slanted steeply across the page. I must return tomorrow, so I will miss your first birthday. I do not plan to be away long, but in case something happens to me, I am leaving you this note. I don't know how I missed it, but it is clear to me now that Corvan has to be from both sides. It is the only way you will be able to defeat him. I did not believe the day would ever come when they could function outside their sphere. I should have seen it coming. He will never be content until he conquers everything. Now I must return to prepare the way for you. When I complete my task, I will return both of them. You are the Corvan, and they must come back to your hand. I am looking forward to the time we will have together as you grow. I will do a much better job of explaining this in person. I can hardly wait to begin your training. Keep both close by at all times. Learn to understand their differences, but remember that they must all be used together. Both? And look down at the hammer on the floor. That had to be one of them, but what was the other? Was it the book? Or it could be what was in the long black box. How could he keep them close if he didn't even know what they were? He looked back to the letter. Do not trust the dark-eyed ones. Sooner or later, they will betray you. And whatever you do, never mention the hammer to anyone, not even those you think are with us. Do not use your title until all is ready. Use only the name your mother calls you. Make sure you take along. The letter ended with an inch of space left on the sheet, but the backside was blank. Why had his father folded up the letter in the newspaper without finishing it? A sense of helplessness overwhelmed Corvin. Something was about to happen to him, and he was totally unprepared. His grandfather's letter was unclear, and it didn't sound like his father would be much help. In the stillness of his room, Corvin read the letter again. His grandfather's writing was almost as messy as his own. He swallowed. He wished his grandfather were here to explain things. The hammer was obviously the key to everything, but beyond that, the letter was nonsense. Shaking his head, he folded the letter back inside the newspaper and tucked it into the book. Maybe something else in the chest would give him more clues. As he pressed the book into its niche, the clips pivoted and snapped into place. He turned his attention to the indentation that held the rope. In this light, the soft coils looked almost like a living green vine. Was this the rope from his dream? He pinched it. It felt almost soft enough to squish apart. He picked up the hammer to release the clips. The sound of his mother's footsteps on the stairs threw him into a panic. He shut the secret compartment, jammed the hammer into his back pocket, and pushed the chisels under his bed. His mother stepped inside the room and shut it behind her. Kate is downstairs and she's not happy. Did you promise to help her pick berries this morning? Corvin's face flushed. He had told Kate he would help her, but that was before she had quit talking to him. How was he supposed to know she still expected him to show up? She said something about the grain elevator at nine o'clock. What time is it? 10.45, mother shook her head. You have to keep your word, Corvin, or people won't trust you. She looked around his room. What have you been doing up here anyway? What was all that banging? Uh, just looking at some stuff in my chest. He glanced down and saw the gray cloth lying in a pile at his feet. He tried nonchalantly, pushing it under the bed with his foot. You need to get downstairs and make things right with Kate. She turned to leave and looked back at him. By the way, kicking that quilt under your bed does not constitute cleaning your room. Fold it and put it back in the chest. He nodded. Do it now, so I know it's taken care of. Corvin rolled the cloth tightly in his arms. His mother stared at him, a frown on her face. It took me hours to sew those quilt pieces together. 
Corvin looked from her face to the cloth. Was she joking? How could his mother mistake this gray cloth for his brightly colored winter quilt? Fold it neatly, and don't make Kate wait any longer, or you'll get an earful. She left the room. Corvin waited until he heard her on the stairs, then pulled the hammer back from his pocket and unlocked the secret compartment. He rolled the cloth back over the inside, locked the compartment, and then hurried downstairs. In the kitchen, he found Kate sitting at the table, finishing off a piece of bread with raspberry jelly. Two full pails of berries sat on the table. Judging from the twigs and leaves stuck in her tangled hair, Kate must have worked pretty hard to get them. As Corvin entered, she gave him a withering look from behind her bangs. Sorry, Kate, I was... Oh, don't give me any of your excuses. I know how much you hate picking berries. Trust me, it's not my favorite chore either, but my mom needs these by tonight. Kate's mother baked the best Saskatoon berry pies for miles around and made some extra income by selling them to the cafe where she worked. Unfortunately, she usually lost it all playing bingo. I was going to come, Kate, honest. He really did want to help her. She'd be in a lot of trouble if the berries weren't ready when her mom got home. I'll help you, Kate, his mother said, giving Corvin a disapproving look. I'll mix up some pastry for you to take home. Kate's face brightened. Thanks. I'm sure my mom will really appreciate it. How many pies is she going to make, dear? I think she said nine. They aren't selling as many now that summer vacation is over. I'll fix the pastry while you two clean the berries. She smiled at Kate as she passed her a clean pail. Corvin followed Kate out to the back steps with the pails of berries. As he sat down beside her, the sweet aroma of lilac swirled about him. But the lilac bush in the yard bristled with brown seed pods, its flowers long faded and blown away. Kate tossed her head, and a fresh wave passed by. He leaned close to her and sniffed. You're not wearing perfume, are you? Kate bent over her pail of berries, and a pink blush touched her cheeks. My dad sent it for my birthday. Shoot, he'd forgotten her birthday again. He caught another whiff of her perfume. It reminded him of warm spring nights on the front porch swing looking at the stars. I lick like lacks. I mean, I lake lack licks. He stopped and took a deep breath. It smells nice. She looked sideways at him from the berries, a smile tugging at her lips. Thanks, Corvin. I like lilacs, too. Now Corvin found his face getting warm. He wanted to say something clever and impress her, but all he could think of was... I found something at the rock. Kate rolled her eyes. Don't tell me you're trying to catch that imaginary lizard. I have to prove the kids will laugh you out of town if you don't drop that story. I couldn't believe you used it for an oral report. That was your tallest tale yet. My mom even heard about it at the cafe. She said that... What? Nothing. My mom says goofy things sometimes. Corvin fell silent as they sorted berries from the debris. Kate looked at him. So what was it? What was what? The thing you found that you couldn't tear yourself away from to meet me on time. Corvin thought of his grandfather's letter. Whatever you do, never mention the hammer to anyone, not even to those you think are with us. Nothing, Corvin shrugged. It's no big deal. Fine, keep it to yourself. What do I care? They cleaned quietly for a while. These are nice berries, Corvin said to break the heavy silence. Where did you find them? A sly smile stole over Kate's face. Fry's Pond. Corvin shook his head. Everyone knew that Bill's father did not allow people on his land. 
Two boys from school had tried fishing at his pond once, and he let them have it with a shotgun full of rock salt. You're not supposed to go on his property. Kate's smile vanished. The bushes aren't even on his land. His property stops at the edge of the pond. Yeah, but does his shotgun know the difference? It's not very smart to go there. Yeah, well, if someone showed up on time, I wouldn't have to take such stupid chances. There was nothing he could say. Corvin stood to shake the berries and twigs from his lap. He felt a sharp tug on his jeans, and he turned around to find Kate holding the hammer, a dazed expression on her face. Give me that, Corvin whispered. It might hurt you. He held out his hand, but Kate pulled the hammer closer to her chest. She stared vacantly past him. Corvin knelt on the step. That's what I found at the rock. It belonged to my grandfather. Kate looked at him as if seeing him for the first time. She nodded slowly and looked at the hammer. Your grandfather must have been a great man. Um, my dad told me he was descended from a mighty warrior. It feels like something a king would own. She reluctantly released the hammer into his hand. As Corvin slipped the hammer into his back pocket, he found Kate staring up at him. I'm sorry I left school without you. She wiped a sleeve over her face. I get so mad when Billy Fry starts picking on you. I'm not afraid of him, but my mom said if I were in one more fight, she'd make us move away. She blinked back tears. I don't know how to help you. Corvin sat with a heavy sigh. I don't know either. I hate being so short. Kate put her hand on his shoulder, but it didn't make him feel much better. Even Kate was two inches taller than he was and a lot tougher. At least you're a boy. Your dad probably wouldn't mind if you got in a fight once in a while. Corvin wasn't so sure. Maybe if your dad was around, he wouldn't mind you fighting either. She pulled away, and Corvin instantly regretted bringing up her father's absence. Corvin picked through another handful of berries, and they sat quietly, listening to the hum of the bees and the wild roses. What happened when you held the hammer? Kate smiled faintly. It's silly, but I felt better about myself. Like it's okay that I get mad at the bullies, but it was scary too, like I was in charge of making things right, like a judge or a queen. Corvin nodded. The way she put it made sense. He had felt something similar. As they finished cleaning the berries, Corvin's mother appeared on the porch, a cloth-covered bowl in her hands. Here's the pastry, dear. You'd better get it home and put it in the fridge right away. She shot a glance at her son. Corvin will carry it for you. He stood to take the bowl, and Mother shook her head at him. Did you have to smear berries all over your pants? As soon as you get back, throw them in the washing machine. You'd better hope they aren't permanently stained. Kate poured the clean berries back into her pails, hiding an amused grin. The afternoon sun filtered through the tree-lined alley beside Kate's house. As Corvin put the bowl down and opened the gate for her, a voice drawled from the shadows. Looks like you got yourself some real good berries there. Bill Fry, the school bully, and Corvin's constant torment emerged from behind a stout maple tree and sauntered over, a shotgun cradled haphazardly in the crook of his arm. They're for my mom to make pie, Kate said as she stepped away from Bill's advance. I do love Saskatoon pie. I think I'll take those ones, and you can tell Corvin to pick you some more. He can get his three-foot lizard to pick the berries he can't reach. 
He laughed as he grabbed the handle, spilling berries into the dirt as Kate tried to hang on. Corvin stared at the ground. A breeze caught the open gate and it slapped against the stone hammer stuck in his back pocket. As Corvin's hand touched the smooth stone, everything around him instantly became clearer. He looked at Bill, and for the first time he was not afraid of him. Bill twisted the pill's handle, but Kate held on. Leave her alone, Bill. The large boy jerked back in surprise. He stared at Corvin for a second, and then the wicked smirk returned to his face. Pushing Kate aside, he moved to stand toe-to-toe with Corvin, his bulk blocking out the sunlight. Did I say you could speak? Mind your own business. I don't need any advice from no Indian. Bill Fry and his father had a deep hatred for anyone with darker skin, but especially for Corvin and his father. Corvin tightened his grip on the hammer and looked into Bill's narrowed eyes. When you bully Kate, it is my business. I'm telling you to leave her alone. Bill blinked, then laughed. (laughs) And if I don't, what are you going to do about it? He jabbed a thick finger at Corvin's chest. I'll do whatever it takes. Oh, I see. Stumpy's got hisself a girlfriend, got to show how brave he is. Well, short stuff, you can have her. She's white trash, just like her mother. Corvin ground his teeth. What right did Bill have to make fun of Kate's home life? It wasn't like his was any better. If only he had the strength of one of his comic book heroes, he'd make Bill pay for all those nasty things he said to Kate. Kate whirled to face Bill, her cheeks and neck bright red. The boy moved back. Why do you have to be so mean, she said quietly. Bill's eyes narrowed, and he gestured with the barrel of his gun. I'm going to be taking them berries, Kate Poley. I suggest you hand them over. The sun glinted off the barrel of Bill's gun. Fear tightened around Corvin's chest, but he stepped between Bill and Kate. Leave us alone, or you'll be in a whole mess of trouble for pointing a gun at people. Bill turned to look at Corvin. Yeah? Who's going to tell? Corvin steadily returned his gaze and didn't answer. Bill hesitated, and then turned back to Kate. Ah, go ahead and keep your berries. Everyone knows your mother makes rotten pies anyway. I'd rather eat a cow pie than that soggy mess she cooks up. He walked out the gate and swaggered off down the road, hollering over his shoulder. When you two get married, your kids will be so short people will mistake them for gophers and shoot them. He gave a loud guffaw and continued on his way. Corvin let out a sigh of relief and released his grip on the hammer. He turned to find Kate gazing at him with admiration. Embarrassed, he picked up the pastry bowl from the grass. I'll take that, Kate said. She put the berry pails down and reached for the heavy stoneware bowl. For a moment her hands wrapped around his, and the scent of lilacs filled the air as a summer breeze rippled between them, flicking a lock of hair across her eyes. She smiled up at him. Thanks, Corvin. Thanks for standing up for me. Stammering out a goodbye, Corvin stepped through the gate to hide the flush rising over his face. Over the years, he'd endured a lot of teasing about him and Kate, and he tried to ignore it. If he had a dime for all the times he'd heard that stupid rhyme about them sitting in a tree and kissing, he'd be rich. Kate, on the other hand, always reacted and stated emphatically that she would never have a boyfriend. He thought about it as he walked along, draping one hand over the hammer in his back pocket. Truth was, he really wouldn't mind kissing Kate. 
problem was, she might punch his lights out if he tried. Corvin smiled. Maybe someday he'd give it a try anyway. Back at home, Corvin stopped at the outhouse and then washed up on the porch, humming a tune he'd heard on the radio. The blue stains on his hands reminded him of his dirty pants and he peeled them off and dropped them into the tub of the washing machine. A pair of patched coveralls lay draped over the old stuffed armchair. He pulled them on and stepped into the kitchen. His mother was carrying a large sack of flour into the pantry with an ease that denied its weight. If he had his mother's strength, he could knock Bill Fry clean across the river. She turned to look at him. Those fit you pretty well, considering they belong to your grandfather. Corvin ran his hands over the faded cotton. He was as short as me. Shorter, she laughed. Looks like you're expecting a flood. He looked down. The pant legs rolled high over his ankles. A glass of water and a piece of bread waited at the table. He sat down. You never told me how my grandfather died. Mother dried her hands. We don't really know for sure. He left without saying a word to anyone. So maybe he's still alive? I don't think so. There's nothing in this world that could keep him from you. You're what he lived for. I could never figure out why he left the day before your first birthday. He was so looking forward to it. As she turned to the stack of pots and pans by the sink, Corvin grabbed a slice of bread and slipped from the room. Within seconds, he was sitting on his bed, unfolding the newspaper from around his grandfather's letter. Grandfather had left the day before his first birthday. That would have been September 20, 1938, the same day as the newspaper clipping. He scanned the front of the paper. There was a long article about a terrible storm in Asia, but the other side was all car advertisements, except for one short article called New Evidence Comes to Light. Representatives from the Industrial Power Company confirmed today that last Saturday's explosion, which resulted in the deaths of three miners, may have been intentional. The explosion took place during the boring of an experimental shaft. At first, the mine operators claimed that the machinery overheated, igniting dust raised by the drilling. Investigators now report that footprints were discovered around the test bore, they claim someone was trying to tamper with the evidence, although it is unclear how anyone could have reached the site before the shaft was cleared. One member of the investigation team, who was asked not to be identified, says he saw a person retreating down the borehole. This claim has been rejected by the mine officials as there are no other levels below the test site. Corvin recalled his father talking about the disaster of 37. Just days after the shaft was cleared, another massive explosion had collapsed the main shaft and forced the closure of the mine. IPC went bankrupt, leaving only the small Red Creek mine still in operation. The thump of his mother's broomstick interrupted his thoughts. Stuffing the letter under his mattress, he returned to the kitchen, his mind whirling. Where did you disappear to? You need to run to the barrens and get some baking soda. Make sure you let Mrs. Barron know that your father was called back to work. We'll pay our bill soon. The Barons owned the local gas station and corner store, and although it was long past closing time, they were always available to open the store and get something a neighbor needed. Corvin liked going to the store. Mrs. Barron often gave him a chocolate bar or licorice cigar that the mice had nibbled on. Can't go selling that to my customers, can I? She would say as she cut off the nibbled corner and handed him the treat. It was a great evening for a trip to the store. The sun had disappeared over the horizon, painting the sky orange-pink above the low hills to the west. 
Corvin whistled as he walked down the center of the road. A few birds called in response. It was great to know that he and Kate were friends again. Things had finally started to look up for him. By the time Corvin had returned home, the taste of chocolate still lingering in his mouth, his father was sitting at the supper table. While they ate, Mother tried chatting about her day, but Father didn't respond. Normally on a Saturday night, they'd sit at the table after supper and play games, but Mother had said it was getting late, so she'd do the dishes and let the men get washed up for bed. Corvin went out to the washstand on the back porch. Looking back through the screen, he saw his father staring at his half-eaten supper. We've managed through hard times before, his mother said, and we can make it again. If he's old enough for what your father suggested, he's old enough to understand that we'll have to celebrate his birthday another time. Corvin plunged his hands into the cool water. That would mean having to wait even longer to find out what was in the black box. His father's voice responded in tones too low to catch. Then he left the table and vanished into the bedroom. Corvin washed up and returned to the kitchen, where his mother was scraping the plates. "'Maybe it's time we got a dog to eat the scraps,' Corvin said, as he finished wiping his hands on his shirt. Mother shook the spatula at him. "'This is not the time to get a dog. And how many times do I have to tell you to dry your hands on a towel? What good does it do to scrub your hands and then wipe them on a dirty shirt?' "'But this one's clean.' It's not clean now that you've wiped your dirty hands on it, is it? Corvin realized that this would be one of those circular arguments he could never win. I'd better go to bed. Good night. He leaned forward to kiss his mother's cheek, but she pulled him in close and gave him a tight hug. Mom, are we going to lose our home? His mother's shoulders sagged as she released him. We'll lose everything if your dad doesn't get called back to the mine. This crop will only pay off what we owe the bank this year, never mind our debt from the past. Is that because old man Fry has been talking to the bank? He couldn't hide the bitterness in his voice. Mother shook her head. You shouldn't refer to Mr. Fry that way. But why is he always trying to make trouble for our family? She looked out the kitchen window at the castle rock. Your father says Mr. Fry still holds a grudge against your grandfather. She turned back to him. But I don't think he's behind the letters to the bank. She smiled and waved him on. Go on now, and don't stay up all night reading. If I see a light under your door after ten o'clock, I'm going to take your bulb away for a week. Corvin smiled. She couldn't put a book down herself, often reading till all hours of the night. Back in his room, Corvin undressed and settled into bed. He wanted to get the rope out of the chest, but he couldn't take the chance of being discovered. He would wait until he was sure his mother was in bed. Outside, the crickets were tuning up for their nighttime symphony. The screen door banged as his mother went out on the back porch to set their ancient ringer washer into action. Soon its rhythmic swish and bump drowned out the crickets. Corvin closed his eyes and let his breathing fall into sync with the familiar sound. The dream returned but this time he was the one pursuing someone through the damp tunnels. He would always catch up, but the person would disappear and call out to him, Who? Who are you? It sounded like Kate's voice. Corvin awoke to the repetitive hooting of an owl on the maple tree outside his window. Who? Who? he called back. It swept out across the yard on its nightly hunt. A gentle breeze wafted the scent of rich earth and moist wheat into his room. The house was silent. This would be a good time to check out the rope. 
He picked up his pants from the floor and tiptoed to the chest. Kneeling down, he searched through the pockets. The hammer was gone. 